you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I was talking to a friend of mine about my upcoming ordination to the priesthood, and trying to explain what it all means. And when I'd finished talking, she thought about it for a little while, and she said, so you'll be kind of like Nadia Bowles-Weber, but with less tattoos and less swearing? (laughs) And I I thought about that, and I said, well, you're right about the tattoos. (laughs) Language is such a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, technically, a word is just a combination of meaningless symbols and sounds. They shouldn't have any power. And it shouldn't be possible to say that some words are bad and some words are good. But words do have tremendous power. Words can be used to uplift, to empower, to wound, to demean. Words can be used to include or exclude. And there's a reason we need to think carefully about the words that we use. Tonight's reading from Acts is one of those readings that anyone who's ever volunteered to read the Bible in church dreads. It contains this string of unpronounceable place names. Well done, Paul. (laughs) So the reading begins, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. If you were a Jewish person in the first century, you would know that Pentecost is an agricultural festival celebrated on the 50th day after Passover. It's the day when you offer the first of your crops to God, partly as an expression of gratitude and partly as a hope that the rest of the crop will grow well so you can feed your family. You'd also know that Pentecost is more than just an agricultural festival. It's also the day that you remember that your ancestors were once enslaved in Egypt and then were finally freed only to wander for 50 days in the wilderness before they came to Mount Sinai where Moses would speak to God directly and receive the law. The law that became the framework for the way of life that you and your ancestors have been trying to follow ever since. And if you were there on the particular Pentecost that our reading from Acts describes, or if you heard the story shortly afterwards, you would see all of those earlier stories and symbols bubbling up and coloring that experience. I still think it would have seemed pretty bizarre, terrifying even, less Pentecost and more Pentechaos. That's a Nadia. <laughs> Now, if you've been following along with the lectionary readings from Acts in the past little while, you're probably noticing themes of inclusion. Story after story shows how groups of people who are once excluded are now included. Story after story shows the early followers of Jesus beginning to embody this new way of living. But tonight's reading takes us back to an earlier time in the story when things are still a little more raw and unsettled and unclear. Jesus has left his people for the second time, first when he died and then when he ascended into heaven. And no one knows what is going to happen next, and so they have all gathered together. It's likely that everyone is gathered in one place because there's safety in numbers. It's likely that everyone is gathered in one place because this group of Christ followers are afraid for their lives. But it's also likely that they're gathered together because rituals and traditions are powerful ways of infusing a sense of stability and a sense of normalcy in turbulent times. And so they gather together to celebrate Pentecost, just as their ancestors have done for generations. 
but they're in for a surprise. A sound comes from heaven like the rush of a violent wind which moves and fills the entire house. Tongues like fire appear and rest on everyone present. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit and develop the ability to speak in multiple languages. These events were loud enough that people came from throughout Jerusalem to the house to see what had happened, and pretty soon a large crowd has gathered. And each person in that crowd was shocked to discover that there was someone in the house who was able to speak to them in their own indigenous language. And that makes no sense. They weren't all suddenly able to speak the same language. They weren't suddenly all able to speak the same language as the people inside the house. Rather, all of the insiders were given the ability to speak all the different languages of the crowd of outsiders who were assembled outside the house to find out what had been going on. This gift, this ability to speak multiple languages, was given to those first followers of Jesus, but it wasn't for them. God was calling God's people into a new way of living and into a new way of being. Amy Oden explains that this gift of the Holy Spirit that marks the birth of the church is a gift expressly for those outside of the Jesus movement, those who have lived displaced in a language world not their own. And you can't miss this. It's a spiritual gift given not for the disciples themselves, but for the outsiders who are listening. God's gift reaches outwards to those outside of this immediate circle of Jesus' followers. It seems that one mark of the Holy Spirit's gifting is that it empowers us to connect with others, not by expecting them to learn our language and customs, but by learning theirs. Luke writes, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Somewhere in our history, the church lost this message. We forgot that our job is to speak in ways that other people can understand, ways that invite them in. Somewhere along the lines, we forgot this gift and began to believe that our beliefs, our cultural practices, and even our languages were superior to everyone else's. We lost this Holy Spirit mindset in favor of a colonial one. Four years ago, I spent a couple of months in Spain, and I came to love the lispy, lilting sounds of the particular type of Spanish that is spoken there. But when I came back to Canada and began to study the language with a teacher from Mexico, I realized that the sounds that were so comforting to me were a reminder of colonial oppression to him. When the Spanish explorers first came to his country, they came to dominate it, and the Christian religion and the Spanish language were two of their most powerful tools of oppression. The colonial enterprise was successful. Like most people from Mexico, he speaks Spanish, but his accent is not the accent of colonial Spain, and his feelings about that country are infinitely more complicated than mine. The same thing happened here in Canada, of course, too, as indigenous people were forbidden to speak their own languages and forced to learn English and French. Which is the exact opposite of what's happening in our reading. The outsiders who rush to the house to find out what's happening don't first have to learn the insider's language in order to do so. Instead, the insiders are given the ability to speak to everyone in their own languages. And when they are caught up in the work of the Spirit, they naturally turn outward to those who have not yet been formally included and begin to share this good news in languages they can understand. 
It's the work of the insider to translate and speak in a way that can be understood, not the other way around. A gift given for the sake of others is an odd thing, a threatening thing even, and not everyone who witnesses those events celebrates them. Luke writes, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Whenever we encounter something new, something we can't understand, we face a strong temptation to judge, to restore our sense of comfort and stability by saying there is something wrong with the new thing. Those who sneered and said they're drunk could walk away riding the high of smug self-righteousness, but in doing so, they lost out on the chance to be transformed by the new thing. Lost out at least for the moment, because the welcoming work of the Spirit means there is always time for a second, third, or even 300th chance. Judgment shuts down communication. It shuts down learning. It's a barrier to relationship and community. A better way to respond is to resist judgment and lean into curiosity, to ask good, open-ended questions like some of the people gathered that day did, questions like, what does this mean? The people were not drunk. God was doing a new thing, and those who were curious enough to ask would begin to discover just what that was. Pentecost is sometimes called the birthday of the church. Now, we don't, but some churches will even wheel out a birthday cake and sing happy birthday to the church today. So today is sometimes referred to as the birthday of the church, but the church that was birthed on that particular day had a particular character, one the institution known as the church today has not always managed to reflect. So when some people have decided that the people gathered are drunk and others ask, what does it mean? Peter answers with this response. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning, which is a fabulous detail if you ask me. (laughs) And while I don't really want to wheel out a birthday cake, I think it's really sad that uh, we didn't choose to commemorate that moment liturgically. Can you imagine it? What if we celebrated the birthday of the church by making sure we were all out in public at 9 o'clock in the morning, engaging in acts of barrier-breaking love for people we didn't know that were so bizarre that the only logical thing people could conclude was that we were all drunk? (laughs) But Peter says they're not drunk. It's 9 in the morning. And he quotes from the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Everyone is included, young and old, women and men, slave and free. Everyone will prophesy. Everyone will speak God's word into being. And Peter wants everyone to know that on that day, the things that Joel said would happen are in fact happening. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's arrival declared in no uncertain terms that anyone who wants to follow Jesus can follow Jesus, just as they are. The Spirit came to break down barriers, not build them up. Vance Morgan writes, God wants human beings to cooperate and communicate effectively Furthermore, our ability to do so is a divine gift. 
Whenever we overcome the vast differences that separate us, differences too many to count, the divine is present. Whenever human beings connect not by eliminating differences, but rather by finding commonality enhanced and deepened by our diverse perspectives and experiences, God is there. The divine strategy culminating in Pentecost is simple and profound. Pentecost also tells us that the divine solution to our failure to understand each other is not conformity, getting everyone on the same page and believing the same thing. Everyone did not miraculously start speaking the same language at Pentecost as humans did in that earlier story in Babel. Every person retained their own language and was divinely enabled to hear the good news in that language. God met everyone exactly where they were as the divine continues to do today. God desires to meet us where we're at and God desires that we, empowered by the Spirit, would do the same for others. May it be so. In the name of our God who creates and redeems and sustains. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.